Amen. Good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Honor His Word. Amen. Verses 11 through 6, Matthew chapter 11. Verses 1 through 6, rather, of Matthew chapter 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding His 12 disciples that He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now I want you to really notice on verse 6, because this is what I'm talking about today. This is the, the, the big idea, the main thing. Is blessed is he who is not offended because of me. One of the most important things that we can learn to do is to live our Christian life not being offended at God. And I want to tell you that's not as easy to do as it is to say. Uh, Jesus says, obviously, that John is in a position of being offended at, at him, at God. The word offended means to stumble. And then Jesus uses the word blessed. Blessed is he. How many knows what blessed means? It means happy is he. In other words, so happy is the person that doesn't stumble. Because of what? Because of God. Jesus said because of me. In other words, there are many people in their relationship to God that they make the mistake of relating to God not based on God loving them, but based on what God does for them, the prayers he answers or doesn't answer or that type of thing. And, and if you try to live that way, you're, you're going to stumble often. You're going to be offended often at God. Because if you try to base your relationship on what God does or doesn't do, your perception of what God does or does not do or is doing or you may say currently is not doing, then you're going you're gonna to be a person that lives your life in a really spiritually crippling position. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you about today. Amen? You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Um, someone some weeks ago said to me, you know, that they prayed and prayed. Uh, they actually wasn't talking to me. They, I heard them say this statement. They had prayed and prayed and prayed. Um, for you know, not to look, they heard that they were going to be job loss, and they had prayed and prayed to God that they not lose their job. They lost their job, and the, and then the response was, what, "What good does it even do to pray? Because it don't, you don't get your prayer answered anyway." Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever felt that way, because I already know it'd be every hand in here at one time or another. So what good does it do to pray? Because, in other words, they're, they're putting God almost on trial based on whether he answered their prayer in the way that they wanted it answered or not. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, and so we're, what's happening here in the text is John's in prison. Jesus said of this man, John, even in this passage, I won't read all that, the, of those born of woman, no one greater has ever arisen than John the Baptist. And here, John is the one that was the uh, predecessor. He was the one that pointed to 
the Messiah and, and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John had received a revelation from the Holy Spirit that the way he would recognize who the Messiah was, that he would be baptizing and the Spirit of the Lord would, would come upon him and he would recognize and know that this is the Messiah. Well, that didn't even happen. He didn't even get, before he even baptized him, he recognized by the Spirit and he pointed at him. He said, Blessed is he uh, uh, who taketh away, there he is, the Lamb of God, taketh away the sin of the world. Behold that Lamb. And then when he was baptizing him physically in the Jordan River, he was so moved by just looking into his face, he, 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 he didn't even want to baptize him. He said, I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said, let it be so. And when he, when he baptized him, uh, an, an audible voice came from heaven. The heavens were ripped apart, the Bible says. Supernatural miracles are going on. He, God spoke from heaven. Everybody there heard. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily, visible form as a dove and landed and remained upon Jesus. That's pretty, that's pretty big stuff. That's huge. And yet he's in prison and he's awaiting his execution where she's going to be beheaded for the gospel. And he, two of his disciples are there visiting him and he sends them to Jesus and said, are you, are you the Messiah? Are you, are you the one that we thought you were? Are, are, are you he or should we look for someone else? Do, do you see how tribulations can make you doubt what you once knew? Let me tell you something I've heard a lot of people say more in the last five, uh, ten years of my ministry than I've ever heard people say Christians. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about just in this church. This, say, this is the statement I've heard. I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know what I believe anymore. You know, those are people that's going through tough times. They're going through tribulations. They're going through uh, trials and, and tribulations, and, and it's and it's making them sometimes ask illegal questions. That was really an illegal question. Jesus said, "You know, go go tell John the things you both see in here." And he said, "And tell him this: Happy is he who's not offended because of me." In other words, I, I don't. We don't know exactly what the real pinpoint thing that John is struggling with but I want to tell you something John knew I want to ask you something do you still know what you once knew did you hear what I said do you know what you once knew do, do you still believe what you once believed or has tribulation come and wrestled that out of you where see a lot of times I want to tell you the preachers get put in one of the worst positions really more than anyone else because they are expected to give answers to things that God's not answering. And so what they do is they just make up lies to fill in the blank and, and stuff like, you know, well, God doesn't do that today. or And they just start making up stuff that ain't even nowhere near it, the Bible. Because they have to fill the void. You know, say, well, why did this person die? Why, why did this happen? Or, that, or they phrase it like you've heard me say, God, why did God allow this? Well, you already got God tried and guilty because you already got, you, you're saying he'd allowed it. And so our whole view is, is askew. Our whole view is, is messed up. And I want to tell you something that's a liberating thing for every believer and especially for every minister to be able to say this phrase, I do not know. 
Well, why did this happen? Why, did, why didn't they get healed? I do not know. That's real liberating. See, nobody can force you to have an opinion. If you're trying to answer something that God's not answering at that moment, you're going to get yourself theologically in a lot of trouble, and 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 you're going to, you're going to mess up your own heart. See, our whole foundation as a believer is that that God loves us, and, and so we relate to God based from that foundation. That that the love of God is not in, and I'm going to read it for you in a second. Not that that we loved Him, but that He loved us. And God so loved us that he gave his son. So the cross, the, the sacrifice, while we were yet sinners, Jesus did that. With no guarantee from us that we, would, that, he, that we would accept that sacrifice, that we would believe in that sacrifice. And if you don't relate to God in every moment of your life based on that, you're going to have a real miserable journey to heaven. It's going to be miserable for you. And, and so... So many people, so many Christians I'm talking about, relate to God from their need. And, and really, and I don't mean this movement, I'm not saying not, like they're not born again, but they don't even really have a relationship with God because their relationship is based on what God does or doesn't do for them. Well, I prayed he didn't answer so. Or either I prayed for my loved one to get healed and we buried him. So, And, and, and I'm talking about people walk away from God because of these type things. Absolutely walk away. Now, part of the problem is, and I don't, I, that's not my message today, and I've talked about it, and so I don't have time to go, you know, and I've, I've wrote a whole chapter in the book, in my book about it. First chapter is this God is in control stuff. And, and the sovereignty of God is not at trial here. God is always the sovereign God that he's always been, but it doesn't mean what the church most of the time says that means. God's not in control of what happens on this earth, and the Bible is so crystal clear on that. Jesus says, not my will that any should perish, but are people perishing? Absolutely. But is that God's will? No. God's will is not always done on earth like it is in heaven. That's what God wants. He told us to pray that, that my will would be done on earth like it's done in heaven. God's will is done in heaven, but it's not done on earth. Why not? Because he gave the earth to the sons of men. The Bible says that. And then we gave it to the devil. Adam, you understand what I mean. And then Jesus, the last Adam, come to take that authority back and, and so so uh when we pray to god a lot of times we pray to god from our need and not from our relationship with god we we we, we relate to god based on those type things and 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 it's going to cause you to sometimes ask questions that are just really an illegal question in romans chapter 5 uh, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, I want you to look at these verses. It says, therefore, Paul said, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's a whole sermon in itself, that one verse. But what it's talking about there is that God himself acted himself to declare peace between himself and man. That's what the angels did that night in Luke when they came to those shepherds. And the angels were worshiping God in the highest. Remember that? It's not just a Christmas verse. Saying glory to God. And, 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 and he says this. He says, on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. This is what God was saying. Some people interpret that, that God was saying peace between men. That's not what he was saying. If that's true, then Jesus lied. Because Jesus said, think not that I have come to bring peace on earth, but I've come to bring a sword. So Jesus said that there's going to be conflict between people. What God was saying was this, God's war on sin is, is, is dealt with with Jesus Christ going to the cross. Amen? 
And, and, and uh, we don't have time to go to all these verses, but in John chapter 12, we, 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 got, we got Jesus making this statement, and he's talking about the judgment. He said, the judgment of this world has come. And, and he said, my time is at hand. And, and he said, my, in my spirit, in my soul, he said, I, I'm, I'm troubled. And he said, what shall I say to these things? Shall I try to escape, in other words, escape the cross? He said, no, for this purpose I came. And he said, Father, glorify your name. And, 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 he, and he goes on to say, if, if, if I be lifted up, I will draw all. And in your Bibles, it says men unto myself. But if you look in your Bible, the word men or peoples is italicized. Now, what have I taught you that that means? It's not in the original language, is it? So the verse preceding that, he's talking about the, the judgment of the world is about to come. The next verse says he's going to the cross, and he said, when I am lifted up, he's talking about the cross, because the verse following that says he said that speaking of the manner of death in which he would die. Are you with me? So he, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all, let's just, just leave out the verse, in it. I mean the word that's not in there, I will draw all to myself. What's he talking about drawing? Jesus is like a lightning rod. He's going to draw all the wrath and the judgment of God to himself. He's not talking about if you lift me up, all people's going to come to me. He's not talking about that. I mean, that's the translators. They just stuck peoples in there. They just stuck that in there. He's saying all judgment, all the, the, the wrath of God on sin is, is going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to draw it to myself. And that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus did. Now he, he's so and, and in, in doing that, God declared peace. Sin, sin is not the issue that the church has made it to be. I, I'm not encouraging you to do it. There are tremendous, horrible consequences to sin. And when you sin, you open the, the, the door up for the enemy to attack you in ways that, that he would otherwise have no ability to. I mean, if you if you if you sin and 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 you do things, you're going to suffer consequences for it. It has its own built-in deal. You know what I'm saying? But it's not God doing it to you. Are you with me? You commit adultery in your marriage, you know, you lose your family, you lose your wife. God didn't have nothing to do with that. That was all on you. I didn't get one amen or even a grunt did I not get. It's all on you. See, people don't like that. They, they were always, we, we were born with the ability to blame somebody. It started in the garden. They sin. God comes. He says, you know, why, why are you hiding? You know, he said, we, we, we we're afraid. We're, you know, we're hiding. You know, first time the word fear appears is right there. And God said, did you eat of the tree? He said, and then here goes Adam, that woman you gave me. You know what he's really saying? He's really saying, God, it's your fault. Because you brought her to me. It ain't like I had a choice. It's the only woman you brought me and it's the only one I had. So this woman that you gave to me, she, she, you know, she wanted me to eat, and I ate, and it's her fault, but it's really your fault. So then he turns, and God goes to the woman. And woman, what, you know, what say you? He said, she said, the serpent made me do it. The devil made me do it. Then I told you he goes to the devil, and he don't have a leg to stand on. He gets cursed to the ground, and so that's the end of that. Okay? All I'm saying is it's in our fallen nature in that part to blame someone. You see there? And so he's, he, that, that's, what he, that's what he's talking about. And in verse 2 of Romans 5, he says, Though through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand by grace, don't we? And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, in other words, when, I love when Paul makes those kind of statements. And not only that, he's, he's saying it's going to get even better, guys. Not only that, 
but we also glory in, look at this, tribulations. Now, let me just pause right here. He said we glory in tribulation. Paul said we glory in tribulation. And I want to say to you, the word glory there is not a noun. It is a verb. And that means that's something that you do. It's action. So Paul said we glory in tribulation. Most, most and I want to say it like this, most American Christians got birthed in the kingdom based on come get saved and you won't have no tribulations. Gospel. It's not a gospel at all. In other words, come to Jesus, you won't have any problems. Come to Jesus, you'll have plenty of money. Come to Jesus, you'll never get sick. Come. And so then when those things happen in their life, they're standing at the return counter wanting to swap that Jesus in on the one that the guy preached the Sunday they got saved. Because I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I thought Christianity was going to be like. I didn't think this was supposed to happen. I didn't think I would have these kind of tribulations. Paul said, glory in your tribulation. Gl gl glory in them. Now, this is not a beat up. This is a bless up here. But most, most Christians don't glory in tribulations. They complain about tribulations, but they don't glory in them. Now, do we have any New Testament examples of what it means to glory? I mean, what does that look like? What's the video? Okay, we've got the audio, but what does the video look like of glorying in your tribulations? Well, you only have to go to Acts 16 where Paul and Silas have been thrown in a Philippian jail. And it's midnight. And these guys have been beaten with rods. And they have been shackled to the wall. And at midnight, they sang praises and prayed to God. And it says this, and the prisoners heard them. In other words, they're doing it loud enough that at least their fellow inmates can hear them praising, glorifying, magnifying God in the midst of their tribulation. That, that's what glory in tribulation looks like. And, 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 and I want to tell you something. Listen to me. And they sung about a lot of the songs was on this today. It was a lot of songs about glory today. You know, it's amazing. And, and so, so Paul and Silas are singing praises to God in the jail at midnight. And it's all in the Bible for us to see. And I want to tell you something. What would have happened if they didn't say anything and just sat there and grumbled and complained? You would not have the story that we have. So heaven responded and reacted to their faith, so to speak. In other words, they sang praises to God. They blessed God in the midst of those tribulations. They knew God wasn't the one beating their back. And, and, and they blessed God anyhow. And when they did, heaven reacted to that. And, and it was a great earthquake. And it, and it loosened, you know, and it was a very precise, precision earthquake. It didn't hurt a person. It, it, it shook every, in other words, they didn't know how to describe it. In other words, God come and shook the jail. Elvis didn't think of jailhouse rock. God did. God did jailhouse rock long before Elvis ever thought about it. And he rocked that jail. He loosed, the Bible says every prisoner's bands were loosened. Everybody's. So not only did Paul and Silas get free, but see, your, your glory and tribulation will free other people. Other people will get free because you praise God when they were being silent. Amen. Good morning. We're glad you're here. You praising God has a profound effect not only on you but upon those that are looking at you, those who know you. Well, why are you doing praising God in the middle of this? God, there ain't nothing else to do. 
How can you praise God? Because God doesn't change. My praise is not based on what he does for me or does not do for me. It's what he's already done on behalf of saving me. He, 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 he loves me. That doesn't change. See, if I'm not looking to you for approval, in other words, if I don't have to look in your face to know if I'm going to have a good day or not, then you don't have any effect on me. Your mood don't have any effect. You understand what I'm saying? But we place ourselves in these vulnerable positions where, where, where you know, oh, well, somebody mistreated me. My, now my day stinks. Well, you're, you're trying to get your affirmation from that person instead of from the one that eternally affirmed you. Good preaching, Pat. Amen. I know it is. See, Paul said... We, we, we glory in tribulations. If you glory in tribulations, he said, then knowing that, how can you glory in them? He said, because we know that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces that hope. And he said, this is a hope, verse 5, that does not disappoint. Because the love of God, that's what I'm trying to get you to see, the love of God not will be if you try and strain, but the love of God has been, past tense, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so he said that's the key. So Paul and Silas, glory in tribulation. Notice it's not glory for tribulation because that's just the spirit of stupid. You're not going to be in jail like, well, praise God, they beat, they beat my back good, man. That was great. That was fantastic. No, that was horrible. You, you, you're glorying in the tribulation, in spite of the tribulation. You're not glorying for it. That's just dumb. But in the midst of it, in, in spite of it, you, you glory by God. That was, that's one of the hardest things that I ever had to kind of feel like break through as a believer. Is when when you feel the least like saying hallelujah, praise God, glory to God. When you feel the least like that, to press that those words out of your mouth in that moment. I remember when I first really started getting a hold of that. It's when I, when I had a prayer cabin down in the woods, and and I, I'd spent a lot of, a lot of time there, and and just be going through some time, something that was just so so horrendous and. And just to be able to just, with, you know, nobody can hear you but the squirrels. You know what I'm saying? And just, just blow that praise out of your mouth. And really all you feel like doing is just weeping and crying. And when you look around 360 degrees all the way around, you don't, you don't really see anything, that God's doing anything. But you just have to know that this, this God is moving when you don't see him moving. He's doing when you don't see him doing. First John chapter 4 Verse 9, he's talking about this the same thing. He said, in this the love of God was manifested, not will be, but was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a fancy word for the mercy seat or the covering or uh, for, for our sin. And, and so... But it's all got to be based on the love of God. Now, when things happen in life, man, and people get sick and things don't go like you want it to go, when we pray the prayer and it seems like the prayer just doesn't work, and we're always looking for somebody to blame, cause and effect, I want you to look in John chapter 9, 
verse 1, 2, and 3. And I'm going to read it first out of the King James, and then I'm going to read one verse out of the message, uh, verse 3. But as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Okay, and this is a guy born blind. So his disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, his teacher, who sinned? So this is a question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I just want to say this before I read it out of the message translation. Now, Jesus says neither, but he's act, it's actually the Greek word that, that is translated often no. No. Uh, the, the disciples uh, just blurt this question out to him. I've heard preachers preach that God is saying here, that God made this man born blind. He was born blind, you know, for divine purposes so that God could heal him. Let me tell you something. There were plenty of people born blind without God having to make one blind. God wasn't running short on blind folks to heal. Are you with me? So don't ever, that's just garbage. That's somebody that needs to quit pretending to preach. That's just ridiculous. It's, a, it's really blasphemous. Listen to verse 3 of John 9 out of the message translation. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. That is a brilliant translation of that verse because that is exactly what it says in the Greek. In other words, they're trying to drag Jesus to answer a question it's not even worthy to be asked. And Jesus responds to them and says, no, you're not dragging, you're not taking me there. You, you got to stop letting people take you and put you on a stage, to, so to speak, to answer a question that, that they have no right to even ask. Just because you're a Christian, as believers sometimes, we get put in position, well, I thought, you know, and, and here you go, you, and, and, you, and you're like, and you feel compelled to give an answer because I'm a believer, I'm supposed to, you know how to answer that. Do what Jesus did. Nope. I have no opinion on that, and I'm not going to have one, and you can't make me have an opinion on it. See how liberating it is? You can't, I've had a lot of times over my life where people have asked me questions to trying to force me to have an opinion on something that I'm not, you can't force me to have an opinion on it because I'm not going to, I'm not going there. I refuse to be drugged into that hole. It's an illegal question. Jesus says, no, you, you're not, he said, you're asking the wrong question. So if, if he told them, Jesus said you're asking the wrong question, apparently there is a right question there. Jesus says it's okay to have a question. But he says, he says you're just asking the wrong one. You, you're looking for somebody to blame. Now, in the Old Covenant, there's a verse that talked about that, that there would be people that would be blind, and, and it, was, it, was part, it was verses in Deuteronomy talking about the curse. In other words, the blessings of Deuteronomy and the curses, of, and this is the law. You know, remember, remember all those curses? And, and, and so you got to understand that in the New Testament, we still, it's still New Testament, the Gospels, but they're still under the law. And the law was in force until Jesus was resurrected. But so, and if you understand that, 
In other words, so what these people were doing based on those curses, in other words, they believed if a person was born blind, it was because that, you know, their parents had sinned, like they're asking here or something, and so that they were cursed by God. And therefore, since they're cursed by God, then the way that they can agree with God about his curse on them is they spit upon them. In other words, as they spit on them, in, in that culture, based on this old covenant stuff, the Hebrew, they, so when they spit upon a person, they're actually saying, you're, you're cursed by God, and we agree with God. That's why they spit on Jesus when he passed by. Because they said, this man, cursed is he who hangs on the cross. So they're saying, this man is cursed of God. So we agree with God, and everybody's spitting on him as he comes by. Now you understand. They're, they're spitting on him. They would see crippled people, blind people, especially blind people, and they would see them sit inside the room. And instead of helping them, some of these people, these religious, they spit on them. So now it helps you understand something. You, you get, you, you're getting something here. It helps you understand why Jesus took a blind man, he took him outside the city, and he spit upon his eyes. Isn't it just like God? Don't miss this. To take the very thing that people done to you and heal you with it. You, 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 you. Somebody should be circling the church right now with that one. He, he took the very thing. How many times had that blind man been spit on and said, we agree with God? Jesus took that same thing, and you could just imagine, he goes, oh, no, here we go again. And Jesus healed his eyes, and he saw God manifested. Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know who's, but it doesn't matter because God's got the same verdict for you. Healing, deliverance, forgiveness, freedom. And, and we got we, 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 we got to stop asking the wrong question. I don't have time to get all the verses, but, but you know, Jesus, he... Uh, Sometimes his preaching offended people. Imagine that. Remember, remember in John 6 where he told them, you've got to eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you don't, you can't go any further with me. And, and the Bible says that uh, they said in John 6, 60, this is a hard saying. Who, 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 can, who can understand this? This guy here is preaching cannibalism. And, and, and the thing it said, it says many of his disciples uh, it says that they, they went back and walked with him. And this is the disciples. Walked with him no more. And when these folks are going away, I mean, there's a drove of people. Could have been hundreds. We don't know. He had many disciples. He had a lot more than just 12. So all these disciples are walking away because they are offended, it says, at him. Because of what he preached. They, they're, they're offended. Now, you, you would think that Jesus would go time out let me explain. <laughs> Y'all come back. Let me explain what I mean. No, 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 no explaining. Mm -mm. And, and some people don't like this. And it's in the Bible, though, so I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. Jesus looks at his own 12 chosen by him, and he says, do you want to leave also? In other words, there's a flow heading out. You like to leave too. Now's a good time to roll out with them. That doesn't seem like the appropriate thing to say. 
And, it, and, and some people don't like it because they, they think it interprets that he don't care. You know, like, okay, they're leaving. Why don't you know if you want to leave too? Now, you know, now's a good time. Everybody's leaving me. You can roll with them. Of course, Peter, not being one to be quiet, he's, you know, he always comments. So Peter said, Lord, where shall we go? For you hold the words of eternal life. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Peter is saying, I, I don't understand the cannibalism sermon no better than those guys. I, I, my, my brain is frying on the sermon you just preached. My brain is offended by what you just preached. But you know what? When you speak in here, it's life. So I'm going to hang around. I'm, I'm, I've told you this over and over. God will offend your mind in order to reveal your heart. Why, why didn't God say, wait, y'all come? Because God didn't want people following him based on human understanding. He wanted people to follow him based on faith in him. I'm going to tell you something if you don't already know this. You, there's going to be a lot that we don't understand. There's a lot that I don't understand. There's, there's a lot about God I don't understand. I, there's just, I don't understand. Man, if I was running the show, I'd be running different. God has never followed my script. I have wrote a script for him. And let me tell you how I deliver my script that I write to God. In prayer, I write a script. I pray it to him. He does not follow the script. He does not follow my script. It gets on my nerves so bad. Lord's never late, Brother Dale. He's never early either. <laughs> he ain't never been early. And he, yeah, he's on time, but he's on his time, not my time. He's been late by my watch thousands of times. Thousands. See, this is stuff you don't get in the religious church. This is truth. It's just real Christian living, guys. And you cannot base your relationship and you can't pray to God and you can't live to God because that's going to offend you. So Jesus, you know, in, in uh, I think it's Mark uh, 5 or whatever, he, he, you know, he heals Jairus' daughter. That's a pretty big deal. He raises the 12-year-old dead girl. He, he, the very next chapter, beginning with the first verse of the next chapter, uh, he's talking and preaching, and the people say, "Where did this man get these words? I mean, this this where did he get? Where did he gain this wisdom?" And he, he speaks like no other man, and so they're just they're they're marveling at that. And then it says, "Wait a minute!" Then the, then they engage their brain into gear. At that moment, they're listening with their spirit, with their heart, and then all of a sudden, they said. Wait a minute. Are not his parents with us? Do we not know Joseph and Mary and his brothers and sisters? Are they not among us? Do we? In other words, we, we know this guy. This guy's a carpenter. We know his daddy. We knew his daddy. We know his mom. We know his brothers and sisters. And it says they were offended at him. Offended. Again, here we go with that word again. So they're offended because they're wait a minute, like, wait a minute. I mean, how can he do it? We, know, we knew him when he was a baby. We, we, we knew him. And they were offended at him. And, 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 uh, and it says this, that Jesus could not do many mighty miracles in that place, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. It, it didn't say he didn't want to. 
It said he couldn't. Now, I want to tell you, there's no lack on power here. But what's killing the move of God there, and it will do the same in our life or in our church, is unbelief. Unbelief and offense. Being offended at God and unbelief are two of the biggest killers of any kind of move or miracle or anything that you want to see manifested. Now, one thing I want to encourage you in that, it says, except that he, he, couldn't, he could not do no mighty miracles there. He could not. He, he couldn't. Except that he laid his hands. Now, you can shut down atmospherically. You can kind of shut down the move of God, just filling the place with unbelief and doubt. That's why when Jesus went into the house where Jairus' daughter was lying dead, he emptied the house out. Because Jesus said, the damsel is not dead, she merely sleepeth. And the Bible said, they laughed him to scorn. They laughed in his face. Well, Jesus, Jesus like the atmosphere is all wrong in here. He said, oh, y'all get out. See, nobody ever preaches about that Jesus. But I can't wait to get to heaven and check out those DVDs. I'm going to watch them all. He's like, hit the door, don't let the door hit you with a, you know, I mean, go. Y'all, all oh, y'all get out. Jesus throwed them all out. Except he kept mom and daddy, Peter, James, and John. How many is that? There's your five-fold ministry right there. Jesus says to her, damsel Talitha Kuma, which is Arabic. Arabic, damsel, I say unto you, arise. And so the girl sets up. She's, she's delivered. Uh, Jesus says, get her, get her a bowl of Captain Crunch and let her be eating that when I open the door. And let these pokes back in. Because elsewhere she's a spirit and a ghost. And it'll be a lot of more chaos and confusion. All those people could have seen it, but they, they, the room was filled with unbelief and doubt. But I want to tell you something. So the atmosphere has a profound effect. But let me tell you this. I want you to walk with courage because nothing can ever shut down what you carry on the inside. And it's, that's why I said except Jesus lay his hands. See, you can't stop me laying. Once I lay my hands, it's done. You can't stop because I, I carry that on the inside. Your, your, your atmospheric conditions don't stop what's on the inside of me. You can't shut that down. You can't shut me down. But you, you can fill the atmosphere with unbelief, and it makes it non-conducive for miracles and those type of things to happen. See, we, we sung a lot. They, they sung a lot today about the, the I, I saw that, I, maybe because that's what I knew I'm preaching on, but I kept seeing the word glory, glory. You know, always it, this, the word glory was all over it today in the praise. The word glory, you know, means kabod. It means the weightiness of God. Now, you, you may think it's weird, and, and I'm, I'm not the, you know, I'm not the, you know me. I'm not the, the guy that, that goes for weird, okay? Uh, I, I'm fine with weird as long as when we get through, we got life there, you know. But if you're going to spit in my eyes, I better be healed when you get through, <laughs> okay? Or if not, then we're going to have a problem. And we're not going to let you play that in here, not another time. You got to find somebody, spit on them down the hall, and then show me that you healed them, and then we'll let you go for it in here one time again. You, you see what I'm saying? But the, the but but I've had times with God, and that was kind of being the encouragement I saw in the worship today. Is it, it, you know the glory of God is is real. It's it's not, you know, it's, it's real, and God can manifest that glory in a lot of different ways. When we, when we sing these songs, we talk about, you know, God fill 
fill this place with your presence. We're not, we're not saying that like we, don't, we think this place is void and empty of God and we're trying to get him you know, to pour in. We, we, we know God's everywhere. But what we're, what, what, anytime we say, oh, come, Holy Spirit, come, we're talking about the manifested presence of God. We're not talking about the presence of God because we carry the presence of God. We're carriers of the presence of God. God's presence does not dwell in this building. We, we don't leave him at the house. We don't leave him in here. God's with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. You can't make his presence go away, not even with your sin. But what we're asking for is God would manifest his presence. And, and, that's, a, and, and that's a wonderful thing. Now, sometimes it's just like Paul and Silas in jail. When they do something and they give God the glory that he's worthy in, in the midst of tribulation, that, that's a huge deal. That, that's just a huge deal. See, because Satan is always accusing God that, that, you know, just like he did with Job, you know, do, you know, do this and he'll curse you to your face. But for somebody to be going through hell on earth and yet they still praise God, Boy, that touches Papa's heart there, big time. Because, see, that's all up in Satan's face, man. Like, they're going through hell, and they still blessing me and cursing you. Get to, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and God reacts. I, I heard him singing, talking about God, you know, heaven comes to war for you or something. Heaven comes to fight my battle. Why? When you was praising. It's just, I mean, so there, there is cause and effect here. But if you, if you don't press through, and, 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 I'm not, and you can't fake this because you won't, you won't do it long. But this, Paul was an amazing man. So, so he, he does all this stuff. I, I don't know what was going. You know, Paul, Paul writes, the, you know, in Philippians is the four little chapters, greatest book ever. And the whole book is focused on one thing, joy, joy, joy. He's, that's where he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say unto thee, rejoice. The, you know, all that. Where, where did he write it from? Prison. He wrote it from the most unjoyful place. He wrote about joy. He, 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 he wrote all these things, and yet many of the things he wrote about, his life seemed to be a, a paradox to it, a contradiction. Maybe John in prison waiting to be beheaded was remembering the inaugural sermon, the first public sermon Jesus ever preached. It's when he, he, he had came back from the wilderness experience. He walked into the synagogue on uh, the Day of Atonement, and, and the, the rabbi over the synagogue asked Jesus to read the scriptures that day, and Jesus took the scroll, and he found the place where it was written of him. And then Jesus says, for the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And so Jesus starts reading these scriptures, and in one of the things that Jesus read there, he says that he, part of his mission was to set the captive free. Set the captive free. So that was his first sermon. And now, here he is in prison, and Jesus has not set him free. Yet his inaugural sermon said that's what he came to do, was set captive free, and here he is still in jail waiting to be beheaded. That, that'll, that'll scramble your eggs, brother. Another thing, Jesus said, when you go to visit somebody in prison, he said, you're visiting me. Jesus didn't go visit John. If those two disciples could go see John the Baptist, Jesus could have went and saw him. He, he didn't go. Do you really think that Jesus didn't care about John? Why didn't he go? Illegal question. I do not know. 
But if you let your mind go to work, you can say, well, he don't care. That's why he didn't come. See, he don't care. That's why this happened to me. That's why this didn't happen. That's why my prayer. And see, here you go, and you are offended at God. You, Jesus said, blessed is he, happy is the man who is not offended at me. That's a happy person. Because you can't get, you, you, nothing can happen to make you get offended at the one who gave his life for you. What if he don't answer your prayer? I'm still not getting mad at him. He's already proved you love me. I, what, what, I mean, I'm not going to get mad at him. And if you do get mad at him, which I have done that a few times in my Christian life, I'm not proud of But, you know, I, I've tried to find another God better than him, but I haven't been able to find one. Y'all know where one's at. Who are you going to talk to then? You can get mad, throw your Bible away, fold your arms, I ain't going to talk to you no more. Well, God's still going to talk to you. You can't make him shut up. You can go try to hide. He's, when you go to hide, find your best hiding place. Move across the country. He's waiting on you when you get there. He's right there. You, all you did is spend money. And he's right there. And he's still going to talk to you. You lay your head down on that pillow at night and close your eyes, and, and he's right there speaking to you. He's, gonna, he, he's paid too much for you. He's not going to leave you alone. You can shake your fist at heaven and curse God and tell him to leave you alone, and he's not going to leave you alone. Because he loved you before, he loved you before you were. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. This is not an afterthought with God. And, and, if, you, and if you relate to God based on that revelation, you, you won't ever have a problem being living as an offended believer because God doesn't change. And God's love for you doesn't change. And so pray your prayers, but don't pray a prayer and say, God, I, I prayed you know, for me not losing my and I still lost my job. Well, for you, that's just going to mean you've got a safer, better place. I, I'm not guaranteeing you're going to make more money. See, if you tie all these ridiculous things to your prayers and stuff, and, and I've lived that, and it's a miserable thing. I mean, you can make up any kind of prayer you want to and, and try to put God on trial, but it's, it's just not going to work for you. You and I relate to God based on his love for us. And you, and you, you, you have to settle that in your heart. I'm Jesus loves me. This I know. When I was seven years old and they first put me up in church and lined all us up, that's the first thing they taught us to sing. I remember being brought in sanctuary as a seven-year-old and lined up with other kids and we sung, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. You keep on singing that full song, it'll deal with racism, it'll take care of everything. First, but I, and I wrote a blog years ago, Jesus loves me, this we don't know. Because most people don't know that, and they relate to God, God, I love you. Well, that's great, but you're just responding to his love. But you don't relate to God on God, I love you. You relate to God on God, you love me. That never changes, no matter what I'm going through. So if Paul's in jail, he said you can't take my joy because... I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am a prisoner, but just of Christ, and not of this jail, not of where I'm presently at. This is not my home. I'm not going to. And so he, he said, I'm, I'm joyful here. I'm in jail. I'm, I'm joyful. Uh, he said, I've learned to have much. I've learned to have little. It doesn't change. Why? Because God doesn't change.
I'm not going to get offended. It's midnight. You know, they, they beat us down. What you want to do, Silas? Which one you want to sing? <laughs> Let's get our praise on. And they start praising God, and the jailers heard them. That's just unusual. They, they're not used to people praising God. They used to get people cursing God at midnight, but not praising him. Glory to God. Praise God. And, and, and it's like, God, you know, heaven, God got to do something in. It's like God's, and, you know, and what resulted out of that? Of course, that Philippian jailer getting saved. Uh, the prisoners were all loosed. I don't know if they had to go back in the jail. Paul didn't run out of jail. I got to get out of here quick. You know, I mean, Paul's right there. And, 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 and the history, church history, the, one of the greatest, most powerful churches ever were formed from that place, Philippian church, because of the power of God that was manifested. Amen? I want you to stand with me. 1201 I'm asking today that if you just look if you search your heart man and you realize your mind's been offended because of what God did or didn't do and you kind of tried him on that deal let that go let that go God's the same God he's always been, a God of love. And I promise you one thing about God, based on the word of God. Anything that God does or does not do, it always has redemptive value in it. God never does anything without redemptive value. Always redemptive value. And... Uh, so, Father, we, we just release those thoughts. You told those disciples you're asking the wrong question. Father, forgive us for just asking the wrong question when we shouldn't even ask it. Religion does a lot of that to us and programs us to ask stupid questions. Father, our, our foundation is that you love us. You loved us before the foundation of the world. You gave yourself for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died and you died for the ungodly, the Bible says. You died for us. And, Father, we relate to you. We pray to you. We, we walk with you based on that. And that we not stumble, that we not allow those offenses to come to cause us to stumble and take away our happiness, to take away our, 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 our joy based on, Lord God, what we ask or what we didn't see. Father, we just release all that right now. And we declare happy is he who is not caused to stumble, to, who is not offended because of you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We relate based on your goodness, the goodness of God that doesn't fluctuate, doesn't change. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Turn around, shake somebody's, in, like this, shake your hand at them. Love you guys. <laughs>